0: That is impressive. I don't know why you have speakers up, staff. That is pretty amazing. So uh, you're done. Go. (laughs) Kidding. You have to stay. John chapter 1. We're still at it. And yes, we're going to get through the whole book this week, and we're still going to only be in chapter 1 tonight. But that's uh, what Hume wants, and I love it, because what we're talking about is the importance of this thing. We don't want to rush over it. Tomorrow we're going to... Unfortunately, rush a little, but uh, we'll get there. It'll be good. John chapter 1. In fact, as you come in uh, tomorrow, we might as well just open it up to the book of John because we're going to start with that as well. It says this in chapter 1. Again, uh, as you're turning there, we just talked yesterday about the, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. This anticipation of who God is and what He did. And then it just says that God comes and he dwells with us, and that's a game changer. It's a life changer that the same guy that created everything put on flesh and walks with us. And some of us are like, well, I don't understand why we'll get there. We're just walking through the Bible here, and it says now we're going to meet a a guy named John and uh, these other people that are anticipating this coming Messiah and what that looks like. And so we're picking up here in chapter 1, verse 19, it says this. And this is the testimony of John. This John isn't the same John that wrote the Bible. This is John. John the Baptist. We'll talk about him here in just a second. When the Jews sent priests and Levites, religious leaders, from Jerusalem to ask him, John, who are you? He, John, confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Some of you are like, that doesn't make sense why he would say that. Okay. Then they asked him, these religious leaders, "What then are you? Are you Elijah?" He says, "I am not." <laughs> Again, seeing this for the first time with your eyes of like not understanding this, guys come out. Hey, who are you? Are you the Christ? No, I am not. Are you Elijah? Nope. Keep going. Right, this could be a long night. Are you a prophet? He said, "No." So then, these religious leaders, they says to him, they say to him, "Who are you?" We need to give an answer to those who sent us. These religious leaders were sent by other religious leaders to say, hey, this guy John is doing some crazy things out in the desert. Go find out who he is. So what do, we, what, what do you say for yourself? And John says this. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. That's Isaiah 40. Now they've been sent from the Pharisees, He's, again, religious leaders. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor a prophet? And John answered them, I baptize them with water. But, (laughs) so cool, among you stands one who you do not know, even one who, who comes after me the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John is baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. Jesus being the word that we just read about, the word becoming flesh. Jesus, the son of God, fully man, fully God, who was in the beginning with God and was God. The next day, John sees Jesus coming toward him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Bold statement. This is he of whom I set after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Gosh, there's so much in there. I've been studying this and I keep reading and I'm like, I want to go into so much. Not enough time. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Even now, as I can read something, just feel almost with fresh eyes that I've been studying it and looking at it and just seeing new things, just excitement that John must have felt. Lord, as we talk about your word being truth tonight, may you soften our hearts to receive that truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Anticipation. It's an interesting thing. I I like uh, anticipating things. Uh, things that, uh, you know, whatever it might be, I'm just, I'm excited for right? Christmas has come around, I'm excited for that. I don't want to open up presents until Christmas morning, right? Not Christmas night. But I'm, I'm one of those guys. I like anticipation. So my wife and I, uh, especially when it comes to movies, we're excited to uh, go see movies. I don't watch trailers. I love movies and I love trailers, but I don't want to watch trailers because I want to go see the movie, right? So I, I don't want to, it, it, to spoil it all. So uh, a few weeks ago, go to a movie that I heard so much about. And I was excited to go see this movie, because there's been anticipation from all of my friends and from a very long time. And I'm I'm fired up. My kids are at school. Me and my wife are having a little date. Uh, We're sitting next to each other. And the lights go down. And finally, you hear it. 34 years in the making. And I heard so many amazing things about this movie that I was scared to go and see it, right? That anticipation, sitting. And this is how it opens up. And when I, when I hear this, right, I, I'm kind of a, I, I, I get excited, right, and I hit a little bit, especially like watching the movie. I'm like, hey, oh, come on, right? And I, I hear this, and my wife is like, sits two seats away from me, because this comes on and this is the movie back in the 80s that I loved. And then 34 years later, this excitement. And it starts with this. And I'm telling you, I was like, oh, it is on. And this show did not disappoint. Thank you for the music. Good. Now, with that said, if you, your parents don't want you to watch it, I am not endorsing it. So don't go and see it. All right. Now. Now. Anticipation. You guys know, that's me, right? That's me sitting in the movies, and there's only a a handful of movies that I have that anticipation for. I've just been so excited to see it, right? Because of things that I couldn't wait. I've heard about. I've read about. this movie was in the making for almost 34 years, right? It's been sitting on the shelf for like two and a half years. I'm excited to see this thing, and all my friends had seen it. And, and again, I was a little nervous because can it really live up to the expectation? It was it was awesome. There was things though which is hard because it, it didn't fully live up to some expectations because I wanted to be perfect, but it's it's a movie, right? We all have this anticipation, I think. At least we, we, there, there's probably things in our life that we've heard about and we're excited about. It, is I just honestly even just read this again. Uh, I've been studying this passage. I'm reading it and I'm just smiling in light of the anticipation that John must have had. Again, what did we read here? We read these Pharisees, these religious leaders are sent out to go and talk to this guy, John. John the Baptist, who is just a simple guy who's out in the, in the desert just telling people about the kingdom of God. He's not, you know, he's been raised up in, um, you know, in, the, in the same ways maybe these Pharisees. And so these Pharisees are like, well, he's not like one of us, so let's go find out what, what authority is he teaching on? Who is he? And that's why they come and they're like, are you the Christ? He's like, no, are you Elijah? No. Why would they ask those things? Are you a prophet? No. Who, who are you? And then he says, I'm the one that comes to preach the one who's about to come. And all of that stuff, maybe for some of us in this room that are Christ followers, we're starting to piece it together. But for some of us, you, you, you might just still be confused. Who are they talking about? You see, we're in the New Testament. There's an Old Testament. I don't even really like to call it the Old Testament. It's just another testament. You see, this book isn't just. It wasn't all of a sudden just handed to us like this. It's 66 different books that are kind of put together over time, and we'll get to that. But Jesus coming onto the scene in the in in, in the New Testament era. Before that, there's been so much history that we haven't even covered tonight or this morning. Right in the beginning, God he creates everything and then he 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 has this group of people that he loves and he uh he he says, I'm gonna bless you as a nation. We got Abraham, we got Isaac, we got Jacob, we got Joseph. Go to many colors, right? We've got Moses who comes under the scene, we've got King David. Woo! We've got, you know, David and Goliath. We've got all this stuff. We've got the rise of Israel. We got the fall of Israel. We've got them going to Babylon. We get them coming back from Babylon. All this stuff is just, it's it's history that we know of the Old Testament. And in that time, there was a lot of prophecy, a lot of things that were talked about is it was written before it would happen. It's prophecy. And one thing that is just throughout Scripture is this hope of someone who's going to redeem. God's people. He's called the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the one that is to come, this one that they're anticipating. And there's lots of passages in the Bible that, that, or in Scripture that these religious leaders would talk about and, and get very excited about this promise of this coming Messiah. In fact, Isaiah 9 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it. To uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. These are things that these people would be, that these religious leaders would be very excited about. Man, one day that, that Messiah will come and redeem us. And in this time when Jesus comes onto the scene, they are in uh, oppression by Rome. Again, there's so much history to cover. They were a, a nation at some point. And God says, look, if you, if you trust me, as you look to me, you'll be blessed. If not, you're going to exit out of the land until you understand that I'm the one who brings you back. And they're like, nah. And all these prophets were like, hey, just remember, the, remember that covenant, the Mosaic covenant. If we, if we do this, then God will bless us and we'll stay here. But if we don't, it's bad things are going to happen. And that's what a lot of these prophets in our Old Testament are all about. They're talking about that, reminding us of God and who he is. Well, they didn't listen and they go into captivity and then they come back trying to start up their nation again. But they never really got back to what it was when King David and King Solomon, if you remember those names, so now they're just going from, you know, being under the the, you know, the rule of Persia, Babylon, now under Rome. And they're longing for the Messiah because according to the Bible, they're thinking, they're looking at the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come back and make all things new basically by saying, hey, we're going to destroy the enemies and, and, and redeem my people. And they're like, woohoo, Messiah come. That's what they've been anticipating. That's what they're teaching on. And these religious leaders are like, hey, maybe John, this, this crazy guy out in the desert who just eats grasshoppers, right, is what it describes John as. He, he's, 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 he's out there and he's out in the desert and he's baptizing people. And he's talking about the kingdom of God. And they go out, well, go out and go see what he's teaching on. And he says, I'm here to talk about and make way for the Messiah to come. What? And everyone's pointing back to scripture. Why? Because these people in Jesus' time, they knew their scripture. It impacted their lives. They, they know what the Bible, what the scriptures were saying about who God is. They know throughout the, the, the land and their history that throughout the prophets, it's saying, thus says the Lord, this says the Lord, that the Lord speaks to them through the scriptures. They believe it to be true. It's not of a question. It's not if, it's only when the Messiah comes. They're all looking to the Messiah, and they come out, and they're like, are you the Messiah? He's like, nope, but he's coming. In fact, I believe that he's here. And then the very next day, he comes on a scene, and I smile as I read it because I think about that song. My anticipation of watching a dumb movie, right? All right, sorry, Tom Cruise is not dumb, right? right. But all of a sudden, he sees Jesus, this one that he's been waiting for, and that anticipation. Almost you could see it, right? You can hear that. he's like, and Jesus is walking through, right? Like, that anticipation of John being like, Jesus? Like, this is really the one that we've been waiting for? They knew their scripture, it was important to them. They believed wholeheartedly that it was truth from God. God would use people to write it, but throughout the Bible it says that it's his words. It's it's inspired by him and people are writing it and again it's mind-blowing. But God's human human writing would, would have error in it, but God's word goes without error. Why? Because the God who wrote it is without error. We talked about that last night. God's incapable of doing anything Uh, God's incapable of being anything but true they can rely on the Bible and they did that's what they were looking for in anticipation of the Messiah coming that's what John's talking about here and he says here he is he's here once again God showing himself to be faithful we're talking about the reliability of scripture today it's true for them. We heard it in that video. It was good for them. Is that is it is it reliable to, to, to for us? I think that there's a it's a good question that I think some of you are asking. Of like, I mean, how, how do I know that the Bible is true? Well, there's there's so many things that we could get into with just super heady, and I actually really enjoy talking about those things and, and researching those things. And you could do classes on it online there's so much good i uh good good resources of how to understand the reliability of the bible i just want to focus on just even a few and even that just scratches the surface of the reliability of this bible that has withstood so much opposition yet it's still going strong why because it's god's word and you're gonna you're not gonna be able to stop this thing no matter how hard you try reliability three things just real quick on reliability and we're going to move on reliability unity would be the first one that just shows the reliability the trustworthiness of the bible unity why is that important because this book is unlike any other book period again it's not just it's not just one book you can't this is now one book but it was 66 books different books written over 1500 years 40 different authors on three different continents with three different languages. Let me say that again in case you missed it. If that doesn't kind of overwhelm you of any other book that you know of, this is very unusual. It's very different and unique in itself. 66 different books. uh, uh, 1,500 years span, 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, all talking about God's redeeming love for his people. That's that unifying line about who God is and God's love for his people. That's the book. It's talking about God and his love and redeeming nature for his redeeming uh, works for his people that he loves, You take your your favorite book, your favorite book you've read. There's a lot of them. Amazing, unbelievable books out there. Chances are it's written by one author or maybe two, maybe three. But chances are, they didn't all start to write the books separate. What do they do? They come together. They collaborate. All right, let's, di- let's think of the direction. Where do we want to go? What's chapter one? Good. Where are we going to land this thing? All right, good. What's in the middle? Ooh, that's good. And they go. Chances are, it's one person really directing it, though. That's not how this worked. It's not one person. It's God breathing life into people and speaking his words into people. 40 different authors, 66 different books. These different ideas and thoughts and experiences never going against each other, all saying the same story that God is with us. How is it possible? It's only possible with God. It's the only logical explanation. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training up in righteousness. As we think about the reliability of the Bible, can we trust it? We have to stop and first start. All right, think about just the unity of the Bible. That's, that's got to be mind-blowing, whether you believe in God or not. You got to ask that. That's different. What about prophecy? We talked about it. Prophecy. Again, this isn't just one time. All of a sudden, the books were all there. It fifteen hundred year separation between some of these things, things were written about that came true later. How do you how do you do that? There is uh, it shows that it's it's of God that He's the one who's writing it. He knows the story. Isaiah forty six: I am God. There is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. That is the fact declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. There's over or, uh, uh, 1,800 prophecies in the Bible, over 1,800 prophecies. Lots of them are, are uh, you know, about the history, again, of, um, of, of, of a place like Babylon coming to take over Israel or, or Judah. And people are like, what is Babylon? That's not even really on the map yet. And, and Isaiah's like, well, it will be. Don't worry about Assyria. They're like, this is a big deal. This army's coming after us. You're talking about Babylon? Trust me. Why? Because I trust him. And sure enough, Assyria, again, it's history, right? It is, this is prophecy saying Assyria, this army goes away, and then Babylon rises up and takes over and conquers Judah. Prophecy after prophecy, things that are coming true, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. But as we even think about this Messiah, the one that John was just talking about and excited about, and I, again, I, I, I'm going slow through this, but I really enjoy it, and I don't want to move past it because it might just be a little too heady, but I, I think about prophecy in general, like as we think about just the statistics, or just the, 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 the probability of eight prophecies. Being fulfilled by one person. Eight different prophecies in the Bible that we read, the probability of that is this. I was reading this and it blew my mind. It's the same probability as this. We all know the state of Texas. Well, I'm not sure if you know how big it is, but it is big. They're saying this the probability of one person fulfilling eight of the prophecies in the Bible is just as probable as you take the state of Texas. You get half-dollar bills or half-dollar coins, and you put one X on one of them, just one X on one half-dollar, right? And then you go and you put them all over the state of Texas, and you fill up the state of Texas two feet with those coins. Then, that's crazy, you take a person, you blindfold them, and then you say, go, and they walk and whenever they want, they stop, they pick up one coin in all of Texas one time, the first time. And if that's the coin marked with the X, ta-da! That's the ability, that, that's that, that's the that's the rationale of like that, that one person could fulfill eight of these prophecies of the Messiah. Go look it up. As you read your Bible, Jesus fulfilled over three hundred prophecies in the Bible. That's mind-blowing. How does that happen, that he fulfills prophecy of hundreds of years before he's even on on scene? The only way that that works as we look at the reliability of the Bible's prophecy is that God wrote it. He knows it. He knows how it starts. He knows how it ends. Last one I want to talk about here, and we're going to move on, Archaeology. Look, there's a lot of holy books out there. How do we know that this one, how do we rely on this one? Well, again, we talked about reliability of unity. It's, that's a big one. 40 different authors with one message, that's hard to find. Prophecy, that's, that's hard to beat. Archaeology, there's a lot of books out there, but most of them fall short when it comes to archaeology. There are over you can, you can go to Israel right now. I've been blessed to be able to walk, to go to Israel and actually read my Bible and walk in different places. And it's like, Hey, the oxen were tied to, uh, you know, this rock in this place. And I'm like, I'm standing in that Valley. That's crazy. Uh, you know, there's a, the place called, you know, the that the angel of the Lord comes down and, you know, defends the city. I'm like, I'm in the and you see, they're talking about this battle that happens, and you see the little arrow holes of the Snackeribs army that fights, like that—that's that's real. I could go and put my hands in those holes. I see the siege ramp that that that, that happens there. Like we see, you can walk and see Scripture come to life. There, and there's so many archaeological digs going on and so many unbelievable things we found. But just, just to, you know, again, geek out a little bit. I I love this kind of stuff. Uh, A place called Tel Dan, it's in Northern Israel. They discovered this little beauty here. And it, uh, it, it's just, it says the house of David on, uh, on this, on this rock chiseled in. Why is that important? Because we literally found a thing that said the house of David. The house of David's in the Bible, and and to see that this actually is real, that this is in Israel, you can put your hands on it and see it's saying the house of David, this Bible talks about who David is, King David, and the fact that it's there is pretty incredible. Caiaphas. We, we found, they found the place where they put his bones here. Just uh, you, know, you could zoom in there and you could kind of see the inscription that it says, you know, high priest Caiaphas. That's a big deal why. Caiaphas is the one that had a hand in, 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 in putting Jesus on the cross. We'll, we'll talk about that. It, it's, that's crazy. We could just find names that are in the Bible. We're looking at reliability and, and we can actually see these things happening and actually put our, our hands on those things if you go to Israel. And last one, and this is a personal one to me, as I went here, this is called the Pool of Siloam. For a while there, they actually thought it was in a different location, but as you talk to people up there, they're like, it just doesn't make sense, because as we read the Bible, it says that Jesus would send this man who was blind all the way down the steps away from the temple, and the Pool of Siloam that they thought originally, it just it wasn't that far away from the temple. Does this make sense? As you're reading the Bible, you're, you're literally doing this, it doesn't make sense if that is here. The Bible says this, and sure enough, a water main blew down uh, in somebody's backyard, and they start to do some excavation, which they're doing excavation all the time in Israel, and they all of a sudden are like, wait a minute, this is tile, and they start to move it around, and they, they find this big old pool that they can't even go uh, anymore into it, because there's a church there, and there's drama with all that, but this is, they, they uncover this amazing pool where they see this water coming into, that this is the pool of Bethesda. How? Because they're reading the Bible. They're like, this wouldn't make sense. They would be here. And we're seeing archaeology just shows again the reliability of the Bible. And we could go on and on and on and talk about outside sources that talk about things, uh, the strict code that scribes would follow with transcribing, eyewitnesses accounts that would be too early for myths to develop, the Dead Sea Scrolls and how mind-blowing that is, the the manuscripts of the Bible, some of the most well-attested witnesses to to history. I, I love it, but some of us are like, oh, I'm bored, right? this is trying to explain to us that this isn't just a book. This is truth. And, and throughout this scripture, as Megan on the screen said, right, if, if some of it's not true, then none of it's true. But if this is true, then all of it's true. And the things that God says to us through his word has to affect our life. So is it reliable? Yes. Is it relevant to our life? I don't know if you've asked this question yet, but I feel like you had to. Why am I on this earth? If you haven't asked it yet, I'm imagining you're gonna ask it at some point. What's the point of my life? Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, I believe that you're going to ask that question. I've got lots of friends in my life that aren't Christians, and they literally are just living the, the American dream of, you know, I I, I you know, Graduate college, I get a job, I get married, I get cars, I get uh, a house, I get a pool, I enjoy life, I party on the weekends, everything's great, but is this all that there is? Rich, is this all that there is? What's the point? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I don't know what the point is. I'm just kidding, right? Like, I, I have somewhere I could take them. Is it, real, is, is, it, is it relevant? How, how should I live in this world? Are you, are you thinking about that maybe at all in this season that we're in? God, how do I navigate my life with, with all of these different ideas of truth and what's happening right now? How do I navigate life? And he says, oh, I got the answer. Do you, do you, do you, want, do you want it? Do you, are you really asking? Do you want to know? Or are you just saying, saying something and just kind of walking away? Because I've given you the answer. This is how you navigate it. Is it relevant to my life? I wonder if some of you have asked is there a god and what is what is god like? We covered that last night. A biblical view of who god says that he is. I wonder if some of us are in this room asking does god really care about me? God, do you even see me? Instead of asking, why not just go to the source? It's a little love story that God gives to us to remember who he is. And we would go to maybe Isaiah 43 that says, But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Is it relevant? It's hard being, I love being a pastor, I love it, but I think that sometimes I say, is it relevant to your life? And I'm like, it's so relevant, and you're like, yeah, because you're a pastor. Yep, you got me. I feel like every day, if not every other day, I have people that are coming into my office that are just broken or hurting, and some that are going through health, major health issues, going through hospice. Their friends have passed away too early, or they're just they're holding on and they have dementia, whatever it might be. That there's just hard situations that are coming in as a pastor. People walking through divorce, people wanting to get married, good things, hard things. People coming and asking my thoughts and advice. And as I worked here at camp, the same thing. I would just have conversations with people. I would ask, actually, just real quick, how many of you have people asking you advice for anything? Anybody? Raise your hand. Most of us. What do we do? We give them our thoughts. More opinions? I don't know about you, but I'm just kind of done with opinions. I don't want to just give somebody going into marriage my own opinion about marriage. I want to give them what God says about marriage. I don't want to walk with someone that's going through hospice and like, oh, man, you're dying. That sucks. I want to sit with them on the couch, which I have done at funerals, which I've officiated. And I want to look them in the eyes and give them hope. And I can't make up that hope because I don't know the hope outside of the hope that we have in God's truth. We give them the hope that we know because this isn't just a made-up book This is talking about hope that only comes from the God that is hope. So let's not give them our own advice. Is it relevant? Well, people are asking your thoughts and advice. Don't just give them your opinion. Let's go to truth. God's word is true, it is reliable. It's a reminder to us of how faithful God is and how loving God is and how powerful God is. It's our way to know him more. It's a roadmap of how to navigate life. It's his love letter to us. He knows what's best for us. Is it reliable? Yes. Is it relevant? Yes. So should we read it? Yes. So why don't we If it's true that it is relevant to our lives that we really need, why aren't we reading it? Romans 12, do don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Letting God's word renew us, letting his spirit move in our lives and remind us of, of the truth of who God is. Self assessment time. You don't have to say it. I would just be curious for you to do a little self assessment. How much time do you spend on social media? A day. Let's go a week. Think about that. How much time do you spend on social media? How much time do you spend listening just to music? How much time do you spend on video games? How much time do you spend in God's word? <sighs> Oops. Those things aren't bad. I'm not saying that they're bad things. But those, those things oftentimes are, are, are screaming things like, hey, do what satisfies you. Live for you. Life is about you. And God's word is constantly saying, I'm the only one that can satisfy you. It's not about you. These things are sometimes contradictory to one another. If we're filling up our minds with those things and what, what are we really transformed into, what God wants us to be, or maybe those things. Are we letting the wrong things in? Are we keeping the best things out. There was a time when people actually, you know, use their Bibles a ton and, uh, and and would write in them. And, and I say that not to say we're not using our Bibles a ton, but I, I use my iPad a lot. I use my phone a lot. I do have a few different Bibles and I write them in or write in them. But there's, you know, friends of mine, older, older people in my life uh, that, that You've seen those Bibles, you know. It's just got so much stuff in it, right? So much stuff written in, and and you go to talk to them, they're like, oh, hang on one second, and like the you know Book of Mark falls out. You know, they're like, oh, hang on one second. I'm like, yeah, just go ahead and pick up the Book of Mark and shove it back in, right? You see that their Bible is kind of falling apart. Why? Because it's been used so much. I heard this quote, and it blew my mind, and I love it. It says this, a person whose Bible is falling apart usually reflects a life that is not If We believe that it's reliable, and we, re- we really believe that it's relevant in our, in our life, that it helps us navigate the, the way that we l- live in this world, the way that we focus not on the things of this world, but focus on him, the way that we understand and remember that we are loved, that we are known, who we are in our desperate need for him. The more we focus on him, why, w- why wouldn't we want to get into this thing every single day, every single moment? That it would become Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste? They they they're, they're sweeter than honey on my lips. If you don't know how to read the Bible, friends, it's that's it's okay. I work with adults now. And it's it's not really shocking, but it is it's interesting that. You get to this point, I think, where you feel like it's just too late to ask. I don't even really know how to read it. Can I encourage you, don't stop asking questions. If you don't know how to read the Bible, if it's just overwhelming, because this is what happens with guys in my life that I know, they're like, listen, Rich, you guys say it from stage at church, we interact, we hang out, we grab coffee, and you say it, you say the Bible's going to bring me peace. I'm telling you, it doesn't bring me peace, it brings me anxiety, because I'm a grown man, and I know I should probably know the difference between Moses and Noah, and I don't. You say open up to a book of the Bible and I don't I don't know it. And as a man, I feel like I should know, but I'm kind of just, I don't want, I don't know. And it's such an awesome moment for me as a pastor and a shepherd to just come alongside and be like, dude, awesome. Let's open this thing together. It's super easy, or it could be super complicated. Let's just go easy. And the more you start to dig in, the more your mind starts to blow because your mind's just blown up. Why? Because this isn't just a man made book. This is 66 different books that that God breathed his words into to say, This is all you, this is what you need to know about me. This is truth. It's my words to you. If God is who he says he is and the Bible is God's words, then this book is a book of his truth, and, and we have to follow it. How, do we have another choice? How do you debate God outside of lowering the standard of who he is and raising the bar of who you are? He is who he is. We are who we are. He gives us clear instructions of how we, we, we are supposed to live, and, and the, the Bible isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. Again, it's a reminder of how faithful he is, The Bible will help shape our worldview, navigate the world that we are living in. It has massive implications for the way that we live our life. If it is reliable, if it is relevant, and friends, let's read it. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your truth. Can have an opinion about truth <laughs> but ultimately you being the highest authority can break down opinions because your word is truth and who you are and we have to again have a right view of who you are and as we do we open up your word and hear what you have to say about yourself hear what you have to say about us, how to live our life out, not just a bunch of rules because you don't like fun, but knowing the best way, the things that truly satisfy us is you. You don't want to share you with anything else. God, may we... May we read your truth. May we understand your truth. May it change us. Thank you for your word, and thank you for allowing us a relationship with you and to know you more through your word. Amen.